Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, William Nordhaus, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist. And unlike most of the profession, he's concerned about climate. And he's trying to find a way of using economics to solve the issue of sustainability for planet Earth. But does he have a genuine drive? And is he searching for a solution that doesn't exist between two forces that are really mutually exclusive? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. So maybe we should be grateful for small mercies that one of the winners of the Nobel Prize for Economics this last year was a climate change champion of sorts. William Nordhaus, who believes that global warming is real and economics should do something about it. And he's trying to find a way of mitigating the impact of man on the climate without impacting our growth and our standard of living. So, Steve, I mean, is, the, is this possible? Aren't they mutually exclusive? Isn't it all a bit of a dream? It is a dream, and in fact, I think it's, it's, a, it's a total nightmare because I, 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 when it first happened, I had a similar reaction to you. Okay, it's good at least somebody getting recognition for doing work on the economics of climate change. Then I remembered that Nordhaus's claim to fame, the way he got to be famous in the first place, is trashing quite viciously the Limits to Growth study back in 1972-73 and being the person who probably led the charge of neoclassical economists to undermine uh, the credibility of that particular study. And uh, so that made me negative again. Then, of course, now I had to have a better look at his model. And even on a neoclassical scale, this is worse garbage than even I expected with that foundation. Well, it's the DICE model, isn't it? The Dynamic Integrated Climate Economy model, which says mm. the world GDP is reduced by only 1% with an increase of 2 degrees centigrade, 4% at an increase of 4 degrees centigrade, and 8 to 9% at an increase of 6 degrees centigrade. Now, from my reckoning, if it's, we get an increase of 6 degrees centigrade, aren't we all dead or pretty close to it? This is the thing, and this is, this is why I look at this, you've just got to be kidding, because the way he actually derided the limits to growth was he had um, one of his papers called Limits to Growth uh, Measurement Without Data, and he basically said they've got all this faux uh, fitting of the data to, uh, to to the model parameters itself, but really they haven't done it. Well, I would actually call him functions without without forethought, because what he actually uses to calculate to supposedly work out the uh, environmental costs of climate change is a quadratic function. So he says the amount of damages are a quadratic function, a, a, a times x plus b times x squared, where x is the increase in temperature over pre-industrial levels or over the levels that apply right now. Now, that itself is bad enough because if it's quadratic, uh, then it roughly says that an increase of, in, in, in temperature of 6 degrees will have 36 times the damage of an increase in 1 degree. But 36 times, you know, a substantial number is a very substantial number. So it could still, even with even being quadratic, it could still get some sort of reasonable uh, estimate out of there. Then I had a look and I simply couldn't believe the parameter value he had for his little quadratic equation because he completely left out the linear term. 
he left out the first power order as well. Well, so there's no constant. There's in the the value for a. You know, if you think of a plus b x plus c at squared, a was zero. B was also zero. He only had a term for the x squared element of the temperature, and that coefficient. And I quote: "is point zero zero two six seven." Now. So you, what, that is one five hundredth of the increase you get from squaring the temperature change is taken as a damage to the, to the planet. Multiply that by 100 to get a percentage terms. So what it ends up being, and this is, um, is, is, is just, um, a, it just, just takes my, my breath away in many ways, that that's where he gets this idea that a 1% increase in temperature, as you said, because what was the number again? I think 1% is, one, one, a, a, well, two degree, I don't know a percentage in temperature, but a mm. two degree uh, increase is only going to reduce GDP by 1%. Uh, four degrees is going to in, increase it by 4%, which doesn't sound very quadratic to me. It's, it sounds a bit linear, but anyway, an 8 to 9% uh, re- reduction at an increase of 6 degrees. So in other That's words, if, it, if, it, we, yeah. if we get to 6 degrees C, which is, I mean, the IPCC is reckoning we should be aiming for 1.5 degrees. So if we get four mm. times that amount, the impact on the economy is going to be less than 10% of GDP. Yeah, and I'll, give you, I'll, I'll take you further. The reason it looks like linear is because you've got an incredibly small constant multiplying the power terms. So mm. 0.0021500 of it, for a long time, the 1500 of it dominates the, uh, the X squared level when the X is very small. Now, if I feed in 10 degree increase, that's going to reduce GDP by 26%. <laughs> exactly. We should have laughed at the fucker. Pardon the phrase. Well, I mean, and, the, and the reason why it would decrease by 25% is because one in four people at least would be dead and therefore no, not, not one be- in four. No, no. The last time we had 10 degree higher temperature than the planet currently experiences on average was the Permian extinction when 95% of all life right. forms died. Well, there we are. Right. The last five are going to be so productive in that case, aren't they? Absolutely. Main- working, maintaining their the, off, yeah. working their asses off yeah, to maintain GDP. That's right. I mean, it, it is just laughable. Simply laughable. So is his now, mo- he- so is his model wrong, or is it just the inputs into the model? I mean, because there's, uh, as I understand, he's put he's put quite yeah. a lot of work. It's it's reasonably complex model, isn't it? No, oh, no, it's okay. not. Well, it's a complex model in terms of it's, it's a neoclassical growth model. It's called a Ramsey growth model. The idea of a representative agent living for an infinite time, making decisions between consumption and investment to maximise utility through time. Uh, that's the whole crazy notion that gave us the real business cycle model. That's what it's actually built on. So he got rid of the limits to growth by disparaging the hell out of it, and we didn't get the development of system dynamics we could have got if people had actually appreciated the technology properly. Instead, we got this daddy stupid neoclassical piece of garbage being developed by him, along with a number of others. There's three other models that are quite similar. But when it comes down to what they, they say, have calibrated the wrong functions. And this is the crazy thing. It isn't just that they've got this neoclassical growth model and so on. They're using a quadratic form. Now, a quadratic, as I said, if you have, like, you can actually, I'll, I'll type in the numbers. Let's see, a 25 degree increase in temperature uh, will cause 160, we make, they give you, 166% as your divisor, 1.6 divisor. That'll mean GDP is 1.6 times lower than it would have been without um, without <laughs> climate change, right. with a 25 degree temperature increase. Right. Now, what is the what? The, 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 so, a simple the, linear model where it actually said, well, at what temperature do we all die would be more accurate in that case. Well, then that's that's what I'm thinking. What what functional form would make sense here? Because if you look at um, the level of temperature increase that will wipe off 
life on the planet. And of course, we, we know the, what happened with the Permian extinction was fundamentally the increase in temperature, the increase in carbon dioxide with the carbon dioxide event, I mean, it took a lot longer than we're doing right now, dissolved the, uh, it ended what's called the thermocline layer in the ocean, let all the sulfur, hydrogen sulfide living organisms, anaerobic processes to take over the biosphere. All this stuff came out to the top, dissolved virtually everything that breathes oxygen. Um, and then only about 5% of life forms survived, and it took about 10 million years for the planet to recover. Now, how do you bring that into a, what's the simplest possible functional form that can give you that result? Bearing in mind the other extreme, if you had a 10 degree fall in temperature from where we are currently, uh, then that would return, possibly push it back to a period which is also in Earth's history called snowball Earth, where basically its fall in temperature meant that the glaciers expanded virtually without limit. As they expanded, because they're white, <coughs> they reflect light back into outer space. So more and more of the radiation falling on the planet was reflected back <coughs> pardon me, without driving up temperature. And the consequence was the entire planet became enclosed in a ball of ice. Mm. Then that melted down because with no life forms generating any oxygen out there uh, or carbon dioxide for that matter. Pardon me, I've got a cough again. <coughs> it's like it's, it's, it's too much carbon in the atmosphere. That's what's doing it to you. Yeah, well, no, what, 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 you're right. Yeah, but what actually happened with the carbon, uh, the carbon dioxide was restored by volcanoes over you know, millennia, of course, the thousands of millennia, pumping carbon dioxide and other gases into the atmosphere, which then increased, gave you a car, gave you a greenhouse effect, melted all the ice and back you in again. There's about three or four periods of that before you had the evolution of multicellular organisms. Now that that gives you the, the function that fits that is is an in, is one over a quadratic. A quadratic is you know a x plus a a plus b x plus c x squared. You can factor into a minus a minus uh, w. Say a minus b multiplied by so x minus a multiplied by x minus b give you values for a and b. That'll give you a quadratic. One over that gives you the right sort of function because what you get is an ups, is a is a thing with asymptotes where x equals a or x equals b. Now, if you set a to be plus 10 and b to be minus 10, that says that if temperature increases by 10 degrees positive or 10 degrees negative from where we are now, life will disappear because in one case will dissolve and the other case will be encased in, in a roll of ice. That's the function you need. Now, I've done that, of course, a very quick little calculation. So if I, I feed that information and I say, let's make it match um, Nordhaus's fantasy at the same level of temperature. So I've got them matching at a temperature of, let's see, um, hang on, it's up this one. Okay, temperature increase of five and a half degrees. So I match the two functions. Let's, let's see, that's not quite five and a half here. 5.68. Okay, if you then head out to a temperature... Uh, which is, say, um, let's go for 10 degrees mm -hmm. over, okay, 10 degrees over, then Nordhaus's calculations are telling you then you get a 12% uh, fall in output. This function, which we should be using, when you, get, when you start to approach the, uh, uh, the, the 10 degree value, let's say you get to the stage where you're at... Uh, Eight point. I think you, you say that's so. We've got here 
um, six six point six degrees. Okay, six degrees. At that point, you're at a, you're at a value of uh, one hundred and eighty uh, times times the level of damage uh, at one degree, and you get to the point where infinite, there's nothing left. So the, the, the functions completely diverge uh, very, very rapidly. So simply putting a more realistic function, even into his model, would give you infinite costs of hitting a temperature of, of 10 degrees. Right. And therefore, you, when you discount infinity by whatever discount rate you apply, you, you appear care to apply, the, co- the, the cost of, car, of, of, temperature, of, of global warming is infinite, and therefore you bloody well did it, did it something about it. But he's actually one who's been arguing in favour of doing it slowly and letting economic growth well, take So isn't that part of the problem? I mean, two, I mean, I have two questions from all, from, from all of this. Yeah. I mean, any model that, you know, it, it, it's clear at some point within it, there's, there's an end point where everybody is dead, GDP has to be zero. If his model doesn't show that, how do you become a, a Nobel Prize winning economist? Because uh, no, other economists believe the same delusions you do are the ones doing the selecting. Right. Or, or having to examine the model enough. I mean, surely any model is going to say, well, okay, there's a point here where there's nothing at all happening. Therefore, the, the model is, is not sacrosanct if it doesn't come out with that, with that result. Surely. Yeah, well, yeah, surely. But unfortunately, it's not what happened. I mean, I look at this thing and I think, how did anybody let this thing pass muster? Mm. Uh, and it's a sign of the uh, just the desire, the desire economists have to just wash this whole thing away. So is, it, so is, it, is he just re- retrofitting numbers then? Is he putting in assumptions into his model? So everyone goes, oh, look, 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 we've got a mathematical model. That's, that sort of makes sense. And look, oh, we don't need to do too much. It's not as bad as we thought. Uh, you know, because he, it, it, he's basically saying, yeah, we can live with temperatures of 3.5% warmer than pre-industrial levels, which is- 3.5 degrees, yeah. 3.5 yeah. degrees, sorry, which is twice what the IPC reckon we should be aiming for. And it's not going to cause too much hurt in the economy in the process. So everybody loves him. Yeah, and that's even before feeding into the rest of the stupid model. This, 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 this initial function is so insanely bad. But of course, if you fit one of these, if you're fitting a model which has, which is continuous, doesn't have a break in it, uh, and that's what a, a quadratic is like, and you fit it to a few data points close to zero, then it's going to be fairly flat. Mm. But if you then try to fit that same function to a point at which you have literally breakdown of life on earth which is the 10 degrees the 10 degrees level uh then at that point your function has to have an enormous value for that coefficient now he's chosen because he's got the wrong function he's fitted at the wrong end of the data as well rather than that coefficient being and i'll just go back and check it again pardon me hang on second point zero zero two six seven it should be something like 20. now of course you simply you simply can't fit that to the actual data. It's wrong at both ends. Um, uh, so that would imply you know, zero. If you use that factor, then a, 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 a tenth of a degree increase would be showing us causing a 20% fall in GDP, which is wrong. So you're fitting the wrong function to the data, even if you're using the right data in the first instance. So there's been criticism of, of uh, the discount rate in his models, that, that he uh, is not valuing future generations as high as current generations so that would mean it's a short-term model for a long-term problem wouldn't it which is a exactly yeah and there's a, there's a good argument in favor of whenever you're looking at the if you're looking at your rate of return then of course you're going to discount future returns you know mm. you know, if i say okay there's a well you know you know let's let's say i owe you ten thousand dollars mate then i say look i'll give it to you in a hundred years you'd go get out of here um that's worth nothing to me 
even even 20 years, that's worth very little to me. So it makes sense to say, but if I say, uh, I'm going to treat your kids as worth uh, nothing to you in uh, 60 years' time, you say, excuse me, mm. I want to have, you know, I, I care about my children. So the the fair, when you're looking at over global, uh, a, a systemic level uh, system, then you should not discount at all. The future, people in the future are just as important as you are, thanks very much. The discount rate should be zero. Yeah. But he applies 6%. Now, what that means, that they, I, see, I was expecting when I, when I was- Which is scary, because I think the Stern Review went through exactly the same process as well. Yeah, and the, 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 the sensible argument is it should be a zero. You're yeah. looking at, you don't discount people in the future against for you. You basically treat people in the future as the same significance as people today. Mm. Otherwise, you're saying, I don't care if the human race survives. Now, I, the, the, so, so he has a 6% rate of discount. Now, my expectation when I started looking at this stuff was that that would be the main cause of trouble. Mm. But that's he's discounting at 6% damages that themselves are trivial to begin with. Mm. And there's one more problem. There's one more problem, which you might not have spotted because this is more my sort of thing, mathematical equations. The way he imposes the damage function is that it's a, it's a div- divisor of the output level. Now, the output level, is given by the typical neoclassical Cobb-Douglas production function, which is output as a function of labour and capital employed. No, no role for energy whatsoever, which, of course, is one of my bugbears, bringing energy into the equation properly. But he assumes that continues growing anyway. So all he's doing is discounting an assumed rate of growth that never changes. Mm. So it is a horrifically bad model. And this, you know, I've talked about forming the Nobel Prize in economics. This this he's a, he's truly I could I could be hard to think of a more worthy uh, recipient than of the Nobel Prize than Nordhaus. Right, well you'll be you'll be able to award it to him this year then uh, if he's ready to take it. Look, I'm I mean, sure he'll have it. Yeah. The, the, the question, of course, behind all of this as well, apart from the model doesn't stack up, is um, you know why we're we looking at GDP anyway? Is that is that really a good measure? To his benefit, this seems to make sense. He worked on the measure of economic welfare, which. Uh, rather than looking at GDP, rather than just looking at income, it measured income distribution and also the impact of environmental degradation. Now, he might have got the figures wrong, but at least it's a step in that direction, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, GDP is... If we look at GDP as a general measure of the impact on the economy, and we're looking, you know, the, the effect of, climate, of global warming. So if we took... Let's take fish, for example contributes diddly squat to GDP of most nations. But if we lost all the fish because the water got too hot, we'd have a pretty bad diet. Uh, not to mention, you know, we'd also lose the barrier reef. So there's a danger, isn't there, of drawing everything back to this economic number, which is GDP is not a good number. And he's at least taken a step in the direction of saying, well, if that's not how we want to measure all of this. We need to look at something else. Well, that's, that's, the, that's one of the things that makes him uh, a, a difficult... Um, character in that sense because they do uh, he, he does occasionally make sensible concessions to reality mm. and therefore he looks like he's progressive same thing as Paul Krugman who uh, you know makes sensible concessions to reality occasionally and then is taken as uh, trustworthy on macroeconomics which he's not so the same thing for Nordhaus yes it's correct to say GDP is not a good measure he does make some good noises in the direction of how it could be reformed I think my idea is a damn sight better which is to base it on energy 
um, and that's one of one empirical piece of work I want to get done in the next couple of years. But he's least he's, he's mouthing the right sort of stuff. And in that situation, the type of energy stuff that I'm coming over, and Bob Ayers and Tim Garrett and so on, doesn't get listening. But listen to, to, to Krugman's uh, to, to, to Nordhaus saying here's a way to reform GDP a bit. So in, the, in, the, in some ways, the way that they are progressive, even. It, even that does damage to getting a sensible argument developed. So if he adjusted the assumption in, in his DICE model, um, could it be useful or, or not, not because it doesn't have the energy component that you're talking about? It could be useful if he had a, quad, the, a, 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 a one over quadratic function for the damages function because that would give a vastly different answer. Now, that, that itself is very sensitive to the numbers you give. So, for example, if I... And I feel him looking at my little uh, graph I've put together here right now. If I say six degrees is that magic, uh, with, with, you could, when you talk about things like a, a level of climate change, once you've got a certain percentage, like a six degrees, then the runaway process of the planet can take you to 10 pretty easily. Um, so, uh, you know, so I put in six, I get this enormous increase in the slope of the of the line if i instead say it's seven degrees um then i get uh, uh, it takes a lot longer to reach that crisis point so it's uh it's a it's a very um again this stuff can be very sensitive to the, to the numbers you put into the system to begin with um, but, so it could be, but it could be more useful for the realistic function there, but still massively misleading. But, and you've got to look at that, you know, as he did with his measure of economic welfare, you've got to look at the, the distribution of income rather than just what the, what the, you know, what the growth rate as a whole is. Because if we, I mean, let, let's look at the United States, for example, has a very high GDP per capita, a lot more than Europe. But are they actually any better off individually than Europeans are? I'd argue actually the Europeans have probably got a, a a better lifestyle, better standard of living, even though their GDP per capita is lower. So can you actually make less and spend less and be just as well off? And uh, that has to be the fundamental question, doesn't it, about how we, how we ad- adapt the standard of living and can we do that without growth? That, I think, is a reasonable argument, but I'm not particularly fussed by it because, again, that sidetracks from the actual analysis itself and saying that the analysis of it is completely skew-if, even if we make those those concessions and say, yes, GDP is not that important. Um, uh, when you weight it, you're still weighting a nonsense argument that a you know 25-degree increase in temperature will only reduce GDP for a factor of 1.6 uh, when there'd be nothing left Nothing, not, not even micro. I don't even know that uh, any anaerobic microbes would be alive at 25 degree increase over current temperatures. So you, you, it, it's, we, we, it isn't just that the GDP is a bad measure. Uh, that, that is a, that's an easy way out for somebody like Nordhaus. His model's nonsense. So it would be good to have a model that worked, though, wouldn't it? Because I think if you went to people, the population as a whole, I mean, there will always be. I mean, there's climate change deniers who listen to this podcast, as as we know, because they've got mm. they've got upper to. Well, I, I hope they're not people who deny that the planet would be unlivable if it was ten degrees hotter or ten degrees colder. No, but they just don't yeah. think it's going to get there. I suspect. But yeah, if we, but yeah. if if we, um, but if we had a, a strong economic model that said, you know, if we carry on doing this, if if we have growth at this level, this is what's going to happen. Therefore, we need to, uh, you know, growth needs to be at this level. Most people, I think, would say, well, okay. You know, if we if we had an understanding of how much we had to compromise our living standard to protect the planet, then people, you know, people would be voting for for that sort of change, wouldn't they? Because I think you know, give people the choice, 
um, you know, continued growth and improvement in your living standard or degradation of the planet uh, as a part of that process or the alternative where you have slower growth and the, the planet is preserved, you take the latter option. Most sensible people would. And if, that's if, you knew limits, the, if you really knew the numbers behind it. And that's, that's why the limits of growth are so important. And this is why economists, especially Nordhaus, played a major role in destroying its credibility and stopping it being taken seriously. When when you look at work by Graham Turnover about uh, eight years ago, uh, the forecast they made are still pretty much spot on what's happening globally. So if it hadn't been for Nordhaus, we might have actually made those sorts of decisions back in the 80s. But he played a major role in making sure we didn't even consider the argument and bang, look where we are now. All right. Well, William Nordhaus, uh, you might be hearing it first, a Nobel Prize winning economist uh, for 2019. The Nobel Prize being the alternative to the Nobel Prize for the people who have uh, deflected the course of economics the most, I guess is how you describe it. That's very accurate, mate. Yep. We'll get you on the, you can do, you can, you can do the announcement. <laughs> All right. Cool. Look forward to it. All right. Great talking again, Steve. Catch you again very soon. Okay, bye. And I think next time we're going to look at hyperinflation. How do some countries find that their economy suddenly turns into a downward spiral of hyperinflation while other parts of the world at the same time are struggling to see anything in the way of inflation almost at all? Uh, We'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. Join us for that one. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then. 